Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with Tom Sheehan of Extra Grind Podcast and of the bands Indecision, Most Precious Blood, and most recently, Colossus. We talked about Sugar's debut 1992 album, Copper Blue, as well as the hardcore alt, Divide, WCW, Bob Mould's book, See a Little Light, and so much more. Tom's newest project, Colossus, recently released an EP on Triple B Records. Pick up a copy today on their web store and check it out on streaming, wherever you do that. Check out the Spinning Out Patreon, that's patreon.com, slash spinningoutpod. Every week, my co-host Sarah and I, we chat about records from our past. So, also, check us out on social media, at Twitter and Instagram, at spinningoutpod. Okay. Don't want to hold you any longer? Let's chat with Tom. Hey, Tom. How's it going? I'm doing well, Josh. How are you? Just a nice Sunday. It's about 35 degrees in New York City. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm here to talk. It's like... Yeah, it's like 60 here, not to go. Not, not rubbing it in uh, at all. It's, that's totally yeah, fine. Yeah, not rubbing it in. So today we are talking about Sugar's first album, Copper Blue. Uh, that came out in 1992. That was on Creation Records, uh, Ryko Disc. And it was produced by Lou Giordano. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce Giordano. it. Uh, he, Yeah, and I know that he also produced uh, Rising Tide, that Sunny Day Real Estate record, and a Taking Back Sunday record. So he's been around a while. Yeah, he's been around. But, okay, so the question that I always start with is, when was the first time you ever heard Sugar, and was it this album? Yeah, this was the the first time I had heard them. um, Probably soon after this record came out. Like, when when I was a kid, a lot of, like... um, there were a ton of like alternative magazines that would be like Mm -hmm. this month you get like this cassette with like these different songs on them. And they must've been on one. Cause I was like, I was only a kid. This came out. I was 17. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, which makes me sound 900 when you do the math in your head, (laughs) but, um, but I I just kind of got into it and I just listening to it. I like, I had never heard anything like that. I feel like this record sounds like nothing else. Like there's no like before or after, you know, and, and at 17, I was like, you know, listening to like Sick of It All and, you know, Breakdown and, you know, all Marauder and all this stuff. So like, I wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, the guy from Who's Do has a new band. It, this was just like Sugar. Okay. And then yeah. I was like, you know, and then I went backwards and I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, I still prefer this to Who's Do. Yeah. But yeah, so like I probably heard this like probably around, you know, end of 92, early 93. Yeah, as someone that has a Husker Du tattoo, I'm not legally allowed to say that I prefer <laughs> Sugar over Husker Du, but I do have my days. Uh, yeah, but it was actually, I discovered Husker Du first. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know why, because it would have actually made more sense if, like, even like you, if I had listened to Sugar first, just based on, you know, the time right, right. that it came out. Um, so. I'm trying to think though, like in terms of what you were listening to at the time, I guess, like you said, like sick of it all, 
were you listening to other kind of alt things or like dinosaur junior yeah, or things like that? Yeah, It's funny. Like, so there, there was a dude in high school in freshman year. He gave me a, a tape of one side was the minor threat discography and the other side was dinosaur junior. So mm-hmm. like, that was kind of my on, like entry into hardcore, like, and like learning yeah. about stuff. So it was like, but that was like always how those lanes kind of were always like happening concurrently. So I loved like yeah. dinosaur junior. I loved like ministry around that time. Lemonheads. Like all that stuff. Um, I was into a lot of like that kind of, you know, I loved like Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always tell a story, like, you know, I'd go to like shows that were pretty, you know, gang infested. And I, you know, yeah. I was like, like the fucking chubby 16 year old in a fucking Soundgarden shirt, like being like, oh no, I'm going to get beat up because I'm wearing a Soundgarden shirt. Now I'd be like the coolest kid in school. But then it was kind of yeah. like, they're all going to hate me. They all have whatever, you know, they, they all have Marauder shirts on. I'm going to get beaten. But yeah, I loved like I loved Dinosaur Jr. I still do. Um, and like I just saw the Lemonheads. Um, they're not the same as they were back then. <laughs> um, yeah, it was rough. And um, but yeah, I mean, I was always into like kind of more like that like jangly pop side of things too. Yeah, um, I feel like when I was younger, it's like my brother was like, "This all is punk," like, and so it'd be like if you're listening to Ministry, if you're listening to you know, uh, Dinosaur Jr. or even like Spaz, like to me, it was, it was all more aggressive than things that were on the radio for the most part. Sure. So to me, it was just like, oh, I guess this is all punk. And that was like my introductory to things that were now that I view as like grunge or alternative and, you know, hardcore, you know. Right. But at the time, it's all pulling from like the same, like you couldn't have told me like that, like Dinosaur Jr. and Frugazi weren't like best friends. Yeah. You know I, mean? like, I don't know. You know, yeah. like they're like, oh, they were all in hardcore bands before and they must be pat. I mean, you know, like it's all coming from that same sort of well. Yeah. And so when this came out, um, like how did, do you remember like how it kind of affected you or how you remember it being like perceived around this time? I mean, in terms for me, it was sort of, you know, you know, finally, you know, being like 16 or 17 and sort of being like, you know, I really like this girl or whatever, you know, and then mm-hmm. like Bob Mool, like helpless, you know, if I can't change yeah. your mind, like, you know, helpless, especially, I think I can't change your, like, if I can't change your mind is more for like, a, like adults breaking up and like at 17, you have no idea what that feels like, but yeah. um, you know, just like it, it sort of like scratch that itch to kind of feel like, you know, I don't want everything to be funny. Like the descendants wrote like great songs about, you know, you know, pining for, for, for someone, but this, this felt a little bit more like kind of authentic and less like tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. um yeah. so that that sort of helpless was the first song i heard off the record and i was like this is it like this is you know this is so fucking cool um and it just sounded so much different from everything else at the time like i don't feel like it um it didn't seem to hit so like for, for like the first maybe like 15 years of my fandom i felt like i that was it was like my secret like i'd be like have you heard sugar like it, i was like this yeah. you know going door to door selling sugar records because i feel like no one really seem to ever talk about them things that seems to have changed in the last like 10 years or so which is awesome to me because it's a great record that everyone should listen to but i I feel like it was like my kind of like you know like when when you have a friend that's like what's your favorite movie and you you say like you know oh it's eternal sunshine of a spotless mind but meanwhile it's like you know fucking reservoir dog or uh, um (laughs) boondock saints or something you don't want to say like my favorite record is actually fucking whatever but it's like that record you could be like well here's how here's my proof of taste it's yeah. like alternative record. Yeah, like yeah. in a in a film class one time in college, I said that my favorite movie was First Blood. 
the first Rambo <laughs> movie, and the teacher, the teacher straight up laughed at me. And then I was like, "Have you actually watched it? Like Great it's movie. a pretty small movie. Like it's like I know that what we think about as Rambo, right, is like such a different thing. But I was like, if you watch that movie, it's like." like one person dies in the whole movie. Right. It's so dramatic. It's yeah. about, you know, a, a veteran yeah. with PTSD. And not being, like, it's like, <laughs> it's pretty heavy without yeah. like, you know, yeah. if it wasn't Sly Stallone being jacked and like cut up and stuff. And it was like, whoever, you know what I mean? It, it probably yeah. Would've... I get, I get that idea though, that you're like, there's like an expectation of what you're supposed to say you like, like, it's like, you know, like as a film person, it's like, oh, I like Bicycle Thief or whatever. Right, <laughs> right, like, right. You know, but it's like it might really be like Big Lebowski. And, and there's know? nothing wrong with that, you know, but at the time, you're yeah, kind yeah. of like this is like your sort of like your badge of, of taste. Well, was I guess even thinking about that connection with it, uh, do you feel like Sugar was something that among your friends you could be like this rips or was it still you would be like oh sick of it all is what i'm listening to more um you know? yeah i mean i i think around that so like i've been friends with like the indecision folks for like you know since the beginning of high school so like the bass player bago is always into like dinosaur jr and like the minute men and fire hose and all sort of stuff so like he and i always vibed off that sort of stuff um the our drummer was like like more of a metal new metal guy and then Justin guitar player was more like um, either like SST or like Sisters of Mercy. There was like no in between, you know, so he yeah. didn't really get into that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, even that, I mean, so other than like Bago, like it was kind of like my own sort of thing. Yeah. You know? That's what makes me think. I, I guess I'm saying this because, you know, you, uh, you co-host a hardcore podcast yeah. and I've listened to enough episodes that I know you all as I, well, I feel like I know you all as specific people, that have a very varied taste in music. Um, and what I mean by that is like, sometimes I feel like you'll meet like people that are in hardcore or punk or whatever kind of subgenre, and they seem to only like that one thing. Right, right, yeah. right. And I, and I don't know if that's like a new phenomena or if it's like something you ex you've experienced in different ways, like growing up. I mean, you know, I think if like thinking back on it, like, you know, every hardcore kid in like 1993, say, like, like of course, hardcore, like sick of it all, it's, you know, yeah. and, and whatever. And then it's like, but I like rap too. Like that, that was like, they're really kind of like, what, check it out. I also listen to De La Soul. Like that, that's awesome. But like, that was yeah. it. Like, you know, like there was never anyone being like, you know, but have you heard like, you know, famous blue raincoat or like there was nobody talking about like Leonard Cohen and, you know, yeah. and like, you know, at yeah. a strife show, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and I think yeah. nowadays, I think there's more, I think it's more prevalent, which I may be my own kind of bias, but I feel like that's more like, you know, like everyone, you know, every once in a while you'll find, like, I'll find friends that are like, you know, like we vibe on like, you know, how much we love like Ellie Smith or like Jeff Buckley that are hardcore kids that mm -hmm. like we've grown up in hardcore, but it's like, this is, you know, like you find those certain people that are like, you know, like, you know, Jeff Buckley could like sing the alphabet and like, I'd be, you know what I mean? Like I'd buy it, you know? And I think, yeah. um, but I think, um, Back then, it was sort of like, yeah, I like Onyx and I like, you know, Biohazard. That's it. It wasn't mm -hmm. really, people didn't go too far afield. Yeah. So when you were getting into Sugar, how long do you feel like it took you to kind of like go back and be like, oh, this guy was in Husker Du? You know? Yeah. Um, probably like a year or two. Like it was like, Husker Du was a band that like you knew, like I knew about. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like, I mean, this is going to make me really sound like 
Keith Richards over here, but like we didn't have like the internet didn't happen, like wasn't around. Yeah. So it was it was hard. Yeah. So it wasn't like one of these things that it was kind of like, you know, we just pull this up on Spotify and see what I what see what I think of it. Sort of yeah. like, you know, let me go out and buy some or see if someone has a tape of it or like that sort of stuff. And I think I heard like of the Who's Could Do stuff, the more the stuff that kind of lent itself more to sugar first. Mm-hmm. So like the like hardly getting over it or like, you know, um, okay. so like, I want to know like if you're, Andy yeah, Apple you know, and I think, yeah. so I was like, oh, this totally makes sense. Like the, I, mm-hmm. then like, you know, the through it, like that kind of through line makes sense. And then going back, it's like, oh, they were like a hardcore band, like never thinking, I'm thinking who's could do is like more like the replacements than, than a hardcore band that they were, you know, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, even I mean, I guess it's still been a long time now, but like I think about like if I wanted to listen to the Misfits when I was in high school, how much work I would have had to have done to do that. Oh, yeah, like, it's crazy. there wasn't like streaming in the way that there is now. There wasn't streaming at all. Um, but it's like I don't know where I would have been able to go to listen to the Misfits if not just like, hey, I think this friend has a tape. We can go over there. And, right. you know, it's like you had to go through all these hurdles. This guy is a shed. And he has all <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. It's crazy to think of, though. Like, I mean, I don't know yeah. if, like, my experience, like, we talk about this on the podcast too a lot. Like, you know, there was a lot of gatekeeping when I was a kid. Oh yeah, totally. you know, it was like you don't deserve that. Like, I we had a friend like that was like that. Like, one day, like his like purple burn long sleeve went to, went missing, and like he's like, I don't know what the hell happened to it, man. Like, I had it. And then, like years later, there some like one of like the older folk kids were like, "Yeah, you didn't deserve that. Like, <laughs> like you stole his shirt, you know." Yeah. Um, so it was stuff like that, and, you know. So it's kind of like, and I mean, quite honestly, in you know, early '90s Brooklyn, I don't know how many people I was going to be able to find, you know, find with the Husker Do and like replacements catalog like available for me to listen to, because I felt like then it was such a weird divide. Like that was almost indie rock then. Yeah, you know, so like you know, the dude that would like take me the minor threat discography probably didn't have any Who's Could yeah. Do records or like you know any of that like the other SST stuff. Yeah, and if they didn't have it, you were just out of luck. Like, it was just kind of like, like yeah. if your if your record store didn't have because they probably wouldn't have had Who's Could Do at that time because I mean even now it's like what did SST have in print like probably not that much. right right and like you know so if. If it wasn't current, your record store just wouldn't have it. So you were like, I'm just going to imagine what, you know, it sounds like. Who screwed it sounds <laughs> right, like. right. Because I don't know where else to get right, it, you know? Right. So you just kind of get into whatever someone was able to burn you a tape of, yeah, you know, like, nuts. or, you know, make a copy of. Right. And so that was just that, you know? Oh, the old so. age of the, the dark ages when we'd have to struggle to find music. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then there was like a point um, where I feel like, you know, years later, where the media fire kind of blog spot kind of time frame where I'd just be like, just put it all on my computer. Just put, uh, you know, all of these bands that I still haven't listened to, but they're on my computer. Right, you have like a back catalog of stuff that you're like, I'm just going to try this out one day. Like, I know people I know have talked about this band. I'm just going to download it, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the era of like, just put in like band name, media fire in Google. Yeah, or block spot or yeah. Yeah, it would just feel like uh just put every youth attack uh you know, right, and just, release on my yeah, computer. And, and, and they're like, I don't think I ever listened to no, it. No, but, but I'll get to know. it maybe. Or not. But maybe. I have that option, yeah. you know. 
And that's why I think, like, you know, with the Spotify rap stuff going on, like, everyone's like, you know, they don't pay the band. I'm like, yeah, but, like, you know, it's there's something to be said for, like, people, you know, like, if I listen to a band on Spotify that I would not have found otherwise, I'm like, maybe I go see them. Maybe I buy a shirt. Like, that, it actually, it, 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 it's a tough kind of, um, you know, you, it's kind of like, I get why people are mad at, at the person who runs Spotify and whatever, but, like, yeah. It's a pretty invaluable service to to fans yeah. and probably musicians alike in the in the long term. Yeah, even as a kid, I mean, I grew up poor, and so it's like I would buy a CD, and then all of my friends basically had that CD because sure. you know I would give it to them, and if they had the capability of making a copy, it just did. Usually, they would get on tape, and then so it's like if you look at it, it's like I don't know how many albums I actually owned myself. Because, right. you know, trying to scrape together like 10 or $15 at that point was a big to-do, right. I mean, you know? And yeah. it's, I mean, it still is to a lot of people. Sure, sure. And so, you know, and then when we got to the kind of media fire kind of time frame, it's like, I didn't have more money. I was <laughs> right. just able to listen, right. get more music, right. and you, you know? Yeah. So, no, I think like, if, you know, think of like, you know, as a kid, like, you know, how many times you got, like, got into your friend's car and you like, you bust out like the CD booklet, you know, like the carrier. And it's like, how many handwritten CDs were in those things? The majority yeah. of them. Here's 17 bands of, you know, instead of, buy, you didn't buy that one record, you burned 17 bands onto one CD, they're seven inches, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, it's been going on for as long as music's been going on, you know? Yeah, it was tapes, it was like tapes, then it was burned CDs, then it was Mediafire files, and now it's Spotify. Right. you know? And yes, of course, like, if you can afford to buy music, then you should. But, you know, there's a, a conversation too about just, some people can't you know yeah. that doesn't make like spotify any less shitty oh, of but, course should they pay people you know but yeah. this has been happening <laughs> right i mean and to me like you know i don't know about you but like my experience like i've bought like in the last you know probably three to five years like so many records yeah i listen to the actual records almost never yeah i kind of had i feel like based on space in my house i kind of had to stop so it's like i have to look and be like what did my friends release <laughs> right right yeah because it's like you can only buy so many records because I try and think like, Oh, did I listen to this a lot? Maybe I should physically support it. Um, but I was thinking about the idea of like the guy that goes every week to a record store and spends like more than like $150, you know? And that's, that's not a normal, that's not a regular person. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, it's probably something they should look into because I feel like that's too much, (laughs) but I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I buy stuff all the time. Like, you know, all of a sudden, like, I'll go to, uh, you know, to the lobby and be like, what the hell is that? And I'll be like, oh, I bought another record. Totally forgot. You know, whatever. Like, and then I go, oh, this is cool. And I read everything. And then I just put it on the shelf and I listen to it on online. Yeah, it's like the record exists in my house to remind me to listen to it on Spotify. Pretty much. They're like, they're post-it <laughs> notes. 12-inch post-it notes posted everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, what else would you do? You know, like, I guess, like, assuming... Did you actually buy the Sugar CD when it came out, yes. or was it? I I think I, am I thinking about? I'm trying to think. Did I have to take? Because I bought, yeah, I bought the the Copper Blue CD, and then, yeah, and then I bought like the Beaster EP and like the other stuff on tape for whatever reason. It was yeah. the same idea though. It was kind of like well, I don't have a ton of like I can buy two cassettes for fifteen and one CD. I'm buying two cassettes. Yeah, that, I would buy a lot of cassettes, even like a little bit. It was way into. 
the CD right. era, but I was still buying cassettes because they were like at that point, like it was like two bucks or something. Yeah, way worse. Yeah. Like you get more, you know, you'd be, you know, if you get so much more bang for your buck for, you know, you can get five records for the cost of one CD. Like done. Yeah, I guess to bring it back into the record yes. some. Uh, so Bob Mould said that the success of the album is due to Nevermind releasing in 1991. So he felt that um, like people just wouldn't have given a shit about Sugar if it hadn't been for Nirvana, basically. Hmm. Um, and I, I guess the question then is like, did you do you feel like you felt that like a shift? I guess because of Nirvana around that time frame, or did it feel different in your mind? Um. I mean, I think it makes sense hearing him say that. Like, it's one of those, like, high tides raise old boats kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it totally makes sense that, like, you know, Nirvana was such a big thing that, like, you know, so we used to watch, like, there was a show, 120 Minutes on MTV that, like, did all the, you know. And, like, that was, like, you know, nobody watched that. That was, like, you know, it was on midnight till 2, I think, on Sundays. Like, something ridiculous, some time slot that was, you know, and, and once Nirvana happened, you turn your, your TV on at two o'clock in the afternoon and they're playing, you know, like it helped the Pixies it helped, you know, probably sugar. It probably helped a ton of like <laughs> the SST catalog and, you know, the Vaseline's and the wipers and all these bands that like, you know, for as, as short a time as Nirvana was around in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, is Jawbreaker reuniting without them? Pro- maybe not, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I just don't have any gauge, honestly, of how big Sugar was, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, because it wasn't something that was like easily available either. Like you wouldn't know, like how many. I wonder how many records, you know, Copper Blue sold. You know, <laughs> if it wasn't in the top two hundred, it didn't exist. Yeah. You know, or for, yeah, and, or like you know, oh well, they played, you know, they played Asheville last night, and it, there was two hundred people there, and a thousand cat. Like I, that wasn't common knowledge. Well, now yeah. I live for that stuff because I find it fascinating. But then it was just kind yeah. of like, were you, were you able to see them around this time? Or um, this is one of my most unhappy memories, if if we're being honest. Uh-huh. So okay. they were touring. I don't know if it was on Copper Blue. It might have been on the second record. And uh, they were playing this place called the Roseland in New York City with um, Velocity Girl. I don't know if you're familiar with them at all. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They were on um, Sub Pop. They have, at the time they had this record called Sympatico out. That was incredible so it was like a double header i was like so excited like i'm gonna go i'm gonna go and um we were in decision was like recording a demo or something it wasn't even anything real it was like fucking something stupid and like i wasn't going to be involved in whatever was happening at that point but like it was like we all got to be there man and i was like are you serious and they're like nah we got to be there we're all together like you know i know it's only drums tonight but like we all got to be there you know together and it's i'm like damn now i would have been like you're out of your mind. I'm definitely going to the show. But at the time, I was like, well, I mean, it's how bands work. I mean, I guess, well, you know, the Beatles probably all sat in the studio while Ringo figured stuff out, too. I don't know. And yeah, so I missed them then, which was a fucking giant bummer. And then they broke up. Not that, not that, like, they broke up in the 90s, I feel like. And then. Yeah, it was uh, 92 to 95. I mean, I think they were kind of like writing stuff before um like when you look at like when they recorded it it says like 90 to 92 i think they had like a long gestation period right to what until it came out but like the active point of like when copper blue came out or was close to coming out they just hit the ground running and then it was all over by 95 so i mean so like, there, I, I must not have had much more of a 
you know, much, many more chances other than that one time with Velocity Girl, which ruined my life when I wasn't able to see it. Um, and then I saw them in, I guess it was like 2012 or something. He did the full record with like a different backing band. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it was like maybe the dude from Super Chunk playing drums. Is that possible? Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that would have been um, probably around then it would have been uh, John Worcester on drums and um i'm jason on bass and it was awesome yeah it was it was like on, on the east river in the, in brooklyn like in like an outdoor park it was fucking yeah. great like you know it was, it was awesome to hear those songs and they sounded exactly like they should have and it was great yeah and at some point uh they did like kind of a not really a reunion because i think it still was like the bob mold band but they've done like kind of sugar like copper blue dates but a lot of those were in europe like a few years ago so i don't even think people in the u.s got to right. really see that outside of probably those performances yeah yeah so like uh, yeah the new yeah. york one i mean i don't know like if it was like a special thing or whatever but i just remember being like incredibly excited to see it and it sounded you know, it sounded great it was awesome yeah and what's also interesting there's like so many little things like with david barbie that played bass and sugar uh, he played in a band called Mercyland in Athens, and he he's gone on to be a producer for like uh, Drive By Truckers and REM. Really? Um. So yeah. Um. Uh, he also he did he's done like some like lap steel and pedal steel live with Drive By Truckers. Um. That's kind of like primarily where I drew the connections between the bands, and that's like seems like such a world away right from something like Sugar, and that also kind of makes you feel like. You know, sometimes when people are like, oh, this is indie rock and this is alt country or whatever, it's like they all kind of co-mingle in the background, you know. Right. But doesn't, I mean, so don't drive-by truckers seem punk to you? They, I definitely feel that with them. Like, I think it, you could talk to them about, I don't know, like an early. Like a Bad Brains uh, record or something. Know. They're like musicians. Yeah. They know. But I always, you know, like, they always struck me as like the like a punk country band. Like Lucero. Like that, that is, yeah. Yeah, that is like a weird thing. And I feel like. I can't always like put my finger on it, but I think sometimes like I feel like I can look at people and be like, "You have a punk past," you know, and like you, if we're yeah. even just and you can tell yeah. in their songwriting too. I think yeah, definitely with Lucero. Uh, but but yeah, that's that's always like an interesting thing where you can like tell people are into punk, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with that, so you also you're also a fan of wrestling, yes, correct? Yes. Yeah. Did you know about uh, Bob Mould writing for WCW? Yes, which is insane to me. Like, I I think he I feel like he may have come out with a book like in the last couple of years that I need to read. You should because read it. like really his good. story is insane. But the fact that like, he went from you know punk band to sugar to writing wrestling and then he became like this like relatively well known DJ. Yeah, you know, and like doing like you know. He was like running like big parties in New York. Most people going probably had no idea who the fuck that this this dude was, you know. And yeah. like, um, yeah. I mean, I, I I I find his life fascinating. Um, have you finished that book? Yeah, it's really good. It's actually uh, co-written or it's who I don't know what his role was, but Michael Azarad oh, helped yeah, yeah. put the book together, and he did our Bank Your of Your Life, life right? and one of the Nirvana books. Um, and like it's a it's a really good book and he goes like into things like things that you're like oh you're talking about oh this wow in this book yeah, yeah. He, he seems pretty straightforward I, i'd be curious and like this is something that i even want to bring up a copper blue like at what point like when did he come out because honestly listening to that uh, record as a kid 
I had no idea. I didn't know at the time yeah. that Bob Old was gay. I had no idea. And it doesn't change yeah. the music. It doesn't change how I look at the uh. songs. But like not real. I had no idea. You know, go. And then years later, I found out. I was like, oh. But then I'm like, oh, they use, like he uses like, you know, male and female pronouns in like sort of like romantic situations on the record. I'm like, did he feel like he had to? Like to make it more palatable in 1992, it's a lot different time. You know what I mean? I don't. I mean, I don't know if it was like a thing that everyone knew during Sugar, and it was just like if you knew, you knew, and you didn't. So I, I don't think how it actually. Okay, so this says that he was outed in the early 90s in an interview in the music magazine Spin. Uh, oh, so he was forced so out. I don't know. Yeah, that's really that's sucks. shitty. It's, it's Spin <laughs> magazine yeah. too, it's, and especially then that wasn't like you know if someone was out. I mean. Even now, it would be shitty if the person it wasn't under the person's own like by the person's own volition. But like, it wouldn't be, you know, in nineteen ninety two, that was like a career altering situation, which is yeah. Like I think now, now it's like in our kind of subculture, I guess. Even if we're kind of putting Bob Mould in it, like most people that he interacts with within music and stuff would be like, "Cool, I'm so glad you're telling that." But it's like Bob Mould probably has family or kind of like extended family that you don't really know how they'll kind of what just even the drama behind it or just like the perceived stress around it would be a lot to like do that to somebody like who knows what his family situation is you know it's like yeah um but yeah i know him writing for wcw was strange i i don't know much about it i just know he did which blows my mind like I would love to. I'll yeah, I have to pick up that book and see like if he talks about this what like, what he was involved in because a lot of times after the fact people go back and be like I wrote that and then I wrote this part and then I did this and like I would love to see like what he yeah. was involved in. Yeah, he did it in the kind of more of the late nineties. Um, so I I feel like my memory of it, he doesn't go into he goes into sort of specifics, but I feel like there's almost a book that could exist of just Those like Bob Mould in the WCW years, because it's like, I want to know specifically what like scripts or storylines you wrote because right. he doesn't go that much into it, but he, you know, a little bit, but he'll talk about like meetings and stuff with certain people. And it's like, no, I want to know specifically what you wrote. Right. Right. And like, did you have a hand in, you know, the NWO what, you know, or some shit? Just, like, yeah. Right. right yeah, okay. yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I would love to see like how he got there. Cause that's, that's where I don't even feel like the book kind of like says there's like, oh, I talked with this person. And then that person was like, oh, you're interested because they knew he was into wrestling. Right. But then it's like, I guess that is also how a lot of jobs end up working. You're like, if you know this person, that person, then they kind of vouch for you. And, and you're in. So it's not more than that. Right. But I'm like, there's got to be more there. But I think people kind of knew that he was like a big wrestling fan because he talked to like friends and whatnot about that you know so i think even kind of going back to like him you know being closeted like i think people within the community or even in music did but not to the point that a music magazine would have normally have known you know like the public didn't know you know um so they didn't know he was into wrestling i guess either until (laughs) right you know that's yeah wow yeah i need to get that book yeah, and also to think, it's it's crazy to me to think of him as like a person that had his hand in so many different things. Like even like he wrote the original uh, Daily Show theme song. 
I that they're that. still used to yeah the the da, na, i'm yeah, not yeah. doing it right but like just the daily show theme song was written by bob mold, bob mold. like it's called dog on fire um oh, I can so like that's that's wild yeah yeah even the one that they still use now but what they did was and i think the craig kilborn i think was the original guy daily show right. guy and then he was replaced by john stewart um but that version on the Craig Kilborn Daily Show was Bob Molds, and then they kind of re. Uh, they might be giants, I believe, covered it, and that's the one we know. Oh, I see. And then, yeah, and then with, but it's still like he wrote, wrote it. it, right? And even with the Trevor Noah show, uh, it's still. I mean, it's still that song. It's just a remix by Timbaland. Nuts. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah, twenty five. Yeah. Years so I assume, I don't know how these contracts work or whatnot, but. Oh. Uh, presumably he's still making some dough hopefully. off of that yeah hopefully yeah they didn't just give him like 500 bucks up front and be like write us a little something you know and they probably yeah, did they knowing probably how did. this stuff usually <laughs> works probably um yeah and he you know he excelled in so much of it too which is crazy have you kept up with uh like bob mold band like the newer records like yeah. going from there? yeah I, I think he it's it's you know somehow he hasn't lost a step but that silver age record is fucking fantastic you know i i still think you know it shows you kind of you know, he, he he hasn't really. To me, it shows you who was like the brain trust. I know, like in like Who's Could Do It always goes back. You know, some people like think it's like Grant Hart and all this sort of stuff. But I, mm-hmm. I think it shows like who the real like pop sensibility songwriter was. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think you know he's still the the rec, the solo stuff has been great. Yeah, I mean, I feel like with Grant Hart, he always kind of had like a thing where it's almost like he had to reinvent himself and i wonder if in a way if that kind of like hurt him you know and kind of like people being able to kind of perceive him as a certain thing like bob mold has stayed relatively right the same, same lane for the most part for and i think that probably helps with like branding right, you know, right. it's like it's always bob mold you know right you can hear that guy's uh, voice on anything and be like that's bob mold yeah but he's like he talks about there was like a documentary on uh just a, like a youtube thing that i looked up and he just talks about like renting an apartment in like New York and writing all of Copper Blue. And then the guy asked him like, uh, do you usually just get like a bunch of songs come to you at once? And he's like, no, that was like a weird time frame. And then he was like, wait, no, that happened with Workbook. And that also happened when he says some other right. record. I'm like, do you just like sit down and like 13 songs come to you? You know, because he had like three eras where he was like, Right. You know, this, this is, is how it happens. Yeah, so he's just a guy that works at it. Like I feel like he, at nine a.m., just starts writing songs, and at five p.m., like he treats like a job. Out. You know, yeah, that's what I feel like. I and mean, that makes sense. It was I listened to like a Ben Gibbard interview like years and years ago, and he was saying like he would say like he had um, like an office that he would mm-hmm. get up every day, go down there at you know nine o'clock, bring lunch, and like sit there from nine to five, and work on record on writing i wonder what that would physically look like i feel like if someone were to have a camera and they saw me doing that i would just be crying most of the time. <laughs> <God damn it>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i mean i think it's it, you know it is a job and i think you know if you put that much time into it like there's gonna be a lot of crap but there'll be <laughs> you know there's gonna be a lot of, i'm yeah. sure this stuff that ben gabriel was like nope right into the garbage but like you know because they were talking about like songwriting and stuff and how he was like you know his biggest song took him like 10 minutes to write or something or like 15 minutes to write that, um, yeah. I follow you into the dark. Like it was like, yeah, I just, it just got kind of came to me. 
you know, he's like, but I, yeah. I, for months I was having writer's block and going every day and just like not giving up. And then like one day this thing just happened, you know, and I find yeah. that I'm sure Bob Mould like seemed like the type of person that was like, I get up every day, I pick up my guitar, you know, I go get coffee, I come back and I start noodling and figuring something out, you know? Yeah. There's like specific points in the book where it's like, uh, because there were so like late, uh, major label money back then where he kind of talks about like renting like a barn and just like writing songs in it, you know? So it's like this Brooklyn apart or this like New York apartment and then this barn. And then now he lives in like Germany at this point, like now days. Um, So it's like, it's kind of, he, he seems to like writing and settings, you know? Right. No, that makes sense. So must be nice. So imagine being like, you know what, Josh, you know what? Like six, six (laughs) one three one comes through with the big check and be like, rent the place for a month. You just go out there and just do it. Like no matter how long it, you know, yeah. it must be like those days are gone for everybody, but it must've been nice to kind yeah. of be like, we're just going to set up shop. I mean, you think about like, even like, you know, like, Oh, the red hot chili peppers, like rented a haunted mansion to record their record. Like, you know, it's just like, yeah. The only person I know that does that and I know they're not getting money for doing it is uh, Ian from military gun. I feel like he, like uh, he just goes to the practice space and writes like all day. You know, but no one's giving him money to do it. Right, he's just doing it. So that's the difference, yeah. He's doing it for the art. (laughs) Yeah, but like most of us, it's like, oh, well, I got to work all day, and then I come home, and then I'm going to try and see if I can feel creative. Right, right. But yeah, that idea of like, you know, a label giving you enough money that you can just be like, my job is to be creative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what, I and this is a total aside, and you don't have to leave this in here, but like, I watched um, some kind of monster like relatively recently. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? Like the, the Metallica thing? Yeah. It's ridiculous. That, that makes me feel like maybe we shouldn't give people money to do these things. <laughs> well, I mean, take away the drugs and the alcohol and stuff. Maybe. But like, I think I go, yeah. man, if I had time to just like set up shop for like a month, I don't have any talent, but like, I, I, you know, I, I can help edit songs and stuff. But to, to do that and like for, for them, for six months of them being like holed up in like this like pretty nice place to come out with the garbage that ended yeah. like, you know, like my lifestyle determines my death style, like, or like this bullshit, this terrible music. I'm like, I know so many people that were like, if we could give you three months somewhere, they're like, everything's paid for. You don't have to worry about anything, but you're doing this. Like my friends would have the greatest records ever. Yeah. You know, if they didn't have to like get up every day and go to work and just do that. Yeah. That's crazy to think of. Cause I think like, even with that, I'm like, if, if someone gave you that money, you, you would at the very least, like, you know, you were saying like, you don't play an instrument, but I feel like I, I would just be like, can y'all make sure you're here at 9am? Like that is a role you could play right. and be like, be like yeah, you know, do that part three times yeah. instead of four or whatever. Like I, that yeah. kind of, you know, I could be like, you know, up front with like, you know, with being in the orchestra, <laughs> you know, but it didn't even feel like Metallica had, that person in the band the closest they had was like that therapist that was they would not feel oh this yeah or like uh or like lars's dad (laughs) like outside of that like no one was like an editor no but also those days would be like let's say they started at 9 a.m by like 11 i feel like james hetfield would be like i gotta go to you know i gotta go back to like rehab or yeah whatnot was going on and so it's like how much time did they actually spend yeah really spend you know, but still, it still was over. Then it ended up being like a year. Right. And for, for him to come up and be like, I got this riff. I'm like, that's not even a riff. That's just, you yeah. getting, it's terrible. But yeah. Bob Mould can do it. Bob yeah. Mould, yeah. Um, obviously, can do it. 
Yeah. Um, so whenever you were like getting into sugar, I guess this was like a couple years before like indecision got together. Did this feel kind of concurrently with like liking hardcore or getting into it as like a front man and what? Yeah. Yeah. Indecision started, um, in when we were in high school in 1993. So it was like all mm-hmm. that, you know, right there, but like, we were all like, talentless hacks so like it wasn't like we're gonna bring in some of our sugar influence into the band it was kind of like we're just gonna like try to get through a two-minute song without it all falling apart you know um but yeah it ran concurrently with all that sort of stuff so it didn't like influence you in any sort of way like as like a uh like writing lyrics or whatnot or um it it may have but it wasn't anything that i i could really point out to kind of like this was like my you know and i think you know especially on this record some of the songs are very straightforward and some of them are like the fuck is Hoover Dam about? Is it really just yeah. about Hoover Dam? It might not be. Yeah. He was saying on a, uh, like a documentary thing where he just said that he was kind of sitting there and that phrase just came to his mind. I mean, it's great. And it's the catchiest thing ever. Yeah. And then he was even like, well, by like the second verse, it's not even still on the Hoover Dam. He's just like, well, I mean, the first phrase was good. But I, you know, it was like I wasn't gonna craft the whole about song around it, so it just, yeah. yeah. So that that I like hearing that stuff about songwriting. That it's like point A doesn't have to connect to point B. It's just kind of this is just I thought it was a cool line, right? And then I'm I'm writing something like very very tangentially connected to it. Um, and like even to me, I mean, I don't know how like I didn't know what the slim was about until like relatively recently. It's it's about the AIDS crisis. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know I, that. I mean, that kind of makes sense when you connect the yeah, dots right there. Right. But, yeah. Then you go back and read the lyrics, like, oh, that totally makes sense. But like, mm. I had no idea what that was for the first twenty years of knowing that record, probably. And then I read some article about it. I was like, oh shit. Yeah, he has like a lot of like strong hooks. Like I always feel like the way that a lot of Bob Mould songs are set up, it's like, it's like verse, verse, pre-chorus, and then chorus, chorus, chorus. Yeah, chorus. It's, it's like, like it's usually the right, hook kind of right. comes on, and it's like works for me. I, I love that. You know, but uh, a lot of times it's like in my head of any Sugar song, kind of the hook is what kind of sticks with me. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. and so I didn't. Yeah, I, that makes sense. You know, right. but I didn't know that that's what no, that song no. was about. And I think the recording yeah. on this is very strange. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, how so? It, I don't know. It just doesn't. It literally, the music and like the 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 product itself, and just the recording doesn't sound like anything else I've ever heard. Oh, I feel okay. like the drums sound yeah. strange, like the guitars. It's it's very like low key heavy. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if it's yeah. like tuned down because again I have no talent. Um, but yeah. it just seems like it's there's a certain I feel like that and the um, file under e- easy listening both have like a weird kind of recording sound that I've never heard again. Yeah, I mean this time frame of recording, I feel like a lot of times you would get like vocals way on top then guitars and then drums there would be like no kind of low end but this has like a lot of good low end to yeah, it yeah and his vocals that wasn't are kind as of, common yeah and his vocals aren't as prominent it seems like because well, yeah. it's also like you said if it's, there's a lot of low end his voice is pretty low and in, in, in the scheme of things so it probably doesn't lay on top yeah. necessarily it's kind of part of yeah which i think is like the better way to i mean i feel like now we know this but i feel like it's like the better way to like mix things that you know it kind of feels like organic in a sense like that but wouldn't have been the case in like 1992 as much right right i hate that sound of like it's kind of like everything is its own little sort of 
thing. And it yeah, was like, I don't know if that was like a CD mix kind of thing. You know, like right. I, a lot of times when I think about it, the main thing that comes to mind is Dag Nasty Field Day. Right. And it is so mixed that way. It's like kind of chorusy guitars, vocals way, way on top, on top right, right. and then drums. And it's like, where's the bass? Yeah, where's like, where's any sort of bass frequency thing that kind of is the glue that right. holds it together? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that is like a strange kind of thing to happen around this time frame that I don't even know what the comment is about no, it, like no. why it ended up being that way. Um, one thing that's like interesting to note is that this got album of the year by enemy magazine. Oh, okay. Which I think is interesting because like you were saying, I feel like I still tell people that, Hey, you should listen to sugar. Like you, you were saying like it, it just doesn't like, that's kind of surprising to me that it got like album of the year, but this is still like a album that I feel like we're like telling people to listen to today. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And I don't know. I mean, if it's like, cause I mean, you know, you, you listed the labels earlier, mm-hmm. weird kind of combination of labels. It wasn't like Sony or like, or even like, you know, an SST or sub pop or somebody that's like, you know, kind of, something that was still around that people would be like, I buy all sub pop releases. Ryko disc in my head. I feel like they do a lot of like best of right. Stuff. Like stuff that you could buy at like the gas station. Yeah. That's what in my memory of Ryko disc. Right. Is. Like, yeah, I'll buy this like clearance, Clearwater revival CD for the ride home. Like um, that's how it always try. And I think that was probably to, you know, it probably worked at the time, uh-huh. but I feel like it was to its own, like to their own detriment. And creation too. Um, Ryko discounts, yeah, yeah, successes like you said in the CD reissue industry. As artists such as Elvis Costello, David Bowie, Yoko Ono, Frank Zappa, Nick Drake, Nine Inch Nails, Sugar, Robert Y, and Mission of Burma allowed Ryko Disc to issue their catalogs on CD. Ryko Disc also re-released the SST era recordings of the Meat Puppets. I guess that's where that at least sort of makes sense, right? The that connection, but you wouldn't think like putting out a brand new record on like no. Like a discography, like, you know, this is alternative, 1992. Like, that seems like a weird place to try to forge new ground. Yeah, I mean, I guess the parent company of Ryko Disc was Warner, but it's still like, yeah, I mean, Ryko Disc still seems kind of strange with it. Um, And also Creation Records. When I think Creation Records, I just think of like shoegaze bands. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's why NME loved it. (laughs) Yeah. So, but, but yeah, I, but I, I guess like if you were at a point about to put out a record and I think you've probably been in this position, but if someone's like, I'm going to give you money and you put it out on here, you just go, yes. Right. No, of course. I mean, like, you know, we always talk about like to get into hardcore for a second, like 108, like, you know, like their third record was on like literally a bootleg label, (laughs) like lost and found records was a bootleg label. Yeah. You know, like that's how you would be able to get like records that didn't like, they weren't impressed anymore. Like they'd press them on CD. So like I had like a side by side lost and found record that literally sounded like someone like had a tape recorder, like it stood next to the record player as it was, it was oh, terrible, wow. but like they put out two one eight records when it came down to it. They're like, they had the best offer, but for yeah. this, like I think creation did it in, in the U and then Europe and then Ryko just did it here. Yeah. So like, I guess that's that, but that makes sense why NME was all about it in the UK. And here it was kind of like on like a also ran label in in the states but i feel like that is kind of like a common thing i feel like when like hardcore bands like uh put out records like you know sometimes it's like oh you didn't put it out on whatever the perceived 
like label, label at the time. Right. Like, like I assume when indecision was around, maybe it was victory or I don't know if that's yeah. where people would have gone. Oh, absolutely. You know, to it. And so then it's like, if it's not on victory, then are people going to like pick it up or really whoever the label is at that, at that perceived time. Um, I'm trying to think like who would have would have been for y'all for indecision around this time frame. Around then, yeah. victory probably um, revelation EVR like all the you know the heavy hitters that were around for the last you know x amount of years. But I wonder like you know if sugar came out on sub pop mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, especially with that influx of mo- that influx of Nirvana money. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like I wonder what, it would have been a a different record. You know what I mean, and and or a bigger record or. Um, I think anyone that hears it is like, oh, I get it. Like this record's great. Like I think you know, but just kind of getting people to just give it a shot is is the biggest thing. I mean, Sugar's a dumb name. I mean, if, yeah, you know, yeah, it doesn't like tell you anything about like what it would be. No, you know, no. and I think to the benefit of it has just been the fact that Bob Mould hasn't stopped putting out music. So I think that if if he was like an artist, like a lot of people do that just kind of goes away for a while, then sugar would probably be more obscure than it is now. But right. it's like to the credit of his hard work that we're, you know, most people are even talking about it at all. Right. There's like tons of yeah. jumping on points. Like you could be someone that's like, I only got into his solo stuff recently. And we're like, well, we got something for you. <laughs> Cause then there's all this back catalog that you can kind of get into. Yeah. Like yeah. you said, like he's, he's consistently like, having a way for someone to jump in and, and, and get into his music. Like, and if he hadn't re- re- put anything out since 1998, I wonder though, cause you were saying you kind of went back and listened to who's screw doing like caught up. Yeah. Um, I always think like, I wonder if people like even younger than me, are they actually listening to who's screw do? Cause it still feels like a name that people know what it is, but I'm like, how many people I know, are they actually listening to who's screw do? I would say next nearly zero. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even, yeah. yeah, like who's listening to Black Flag in 2021? I, yeah. I mean, there's probably a little bit more because it's an easier, I mean, I feel like who's going to do is a very kind of daunting task mm-hmm. to kind of be like, you know, it's like, it, it's like, it's like the wire. Everyone's like, <laughs> dude, you got to watch the wire. But you're like, yo, there's like eight seasons, man. It's like so much. Like if I was like, you got to get it through could do. Here are all these records. And some of them are triple. Like, you know, and you'd be like, yeah, fuck. <laughs> you know, like we always say, like, I feel like all those bands and I mean, they don't give a shit about it now. But like everyone from that era needs like like the a Descendants summary record. Mm-hmm. That's like, here are all the songs that you really like. If you come see us, these are the songs we're probably going to play. Yeah. And like if there was like a Husker do, I don't know if we ever made one. We talked about it on the podcast and kind of be like, here's an introductory, like 20 songs of, across the, across their career that you may, you know, and then you pick and choose what you like. Yeah. You one, I think I was even telling uh, uh, Bob about it on, you know, extra guy yeah. Bob um, that there kind of is, but I don't think most people would grab for it. And uh, they have a live album that I think would be like a really good, it's it sounds really good. It sounds better than a lot of their stuff the records, recorded. Right, right. Yeah, and um, I think it's called the Living End. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would. I think it's like if you think you might like Husker Du. That's a good jumping in. That is because it's like it sounds the best, and you get like that. You get like the speed. It kind of because even when it's like some Candy Apple Gray stuff. If you're more like someone that's tuned into like hardcore or punk, you may not really grasp 
you know, like the jangly stuff of like yeah. Candy Apple Grey, but you get like a more souped up version of it on the live album, right. um, no, which would be a good place to go. But yeah, like any band like this really could be served well from having like a greatest hits, like summary by Descendants. Yeah, yeah. just, you know, I mean, cause like there's a lot of great stuff, but it's very daunting and it's, you know, like, where do you start? And if you pick the wrong record, then you're done. Yeah. You know, then it's like, I'll never listen to that, you know, like, and then, it, then that sucks. You know what I mean? And I think, and I think especially then, like the recordings are so hard to listen to. If you're not acclimated mm-hmm. to that sort of stuff and your ears not used to like hearing the garbage that we put up with, you'd be like, what? you know, like, and that's why I, I think that's what really puts sugar over the top too. Keep yeah, it does. Yeah. Like it's yeah. Just, it, it, anytime I want to listen to Husker Du, uh, even as someone that's like a big fan of them, it's like kind of my, am I in the mood for like you know, this how rough the recordings yeah. are, you know? Yeah. But Sugar always is a super easy listen. But um, it's so much easier to gestate, you know, if you. Yeah. And just yeah. put it on. And like Husker Du is like active listening. You have to. Yeah. Like you, that's not yeah. something you're putting on in the background just because. I mean, even their well-recorded records, you know, sound, yeah. they're, they're kind of hard to listen to. So I guess like even going into, because I've had you for a little bit, so kind of, so I guess like currently earlier this year, you put out an EP uh, with the band Colossus. Yes. Um, so how long had it been since you had recorded on an album? Like, so for any um like i've done like you know stuff like i sang on like the foundation record or like different records but like the first time like it's the first time since 2001 oh, that wow. i recorded anything like nothing in vain by most Precious blood was the last record i did mm-hmm. so i was that came out in november of 2001 so it was yeah. like almost 20 years to the date of like so yeah i had never done anything else other than like you know the the cameo parts on people's songs since then. Yeah, and then I guess like just kind of live reunion shows with Indecision and whatnot yeah. from that. So yeah, yeah. So it was a long yeah. time. It was like pretty pretty scary, but it was cool. Yeah, I felt like even though I had heard you say that, I was like, I don't believe that. I don't know. It's like I know yeah, you wouldn't lie about. It, but I was like, yeah, it sounds wild, but like yeah, we, you know, them going on. You know, and most fresh blood went on without me, and then I was uh-huh. law school. Like, so it was like all this time kind of flies by and it's like, we've do shows and stuff, but like we never actually recorded again. And then the stuff, you know, the classes stuff popped up and I was like, all right, you know, like I, it's with people that I super, I, I really like their bands and I respect them. So I was like, if I'm going to do it with anybody. It's going to be these guys. So it's like, yeah. And what other bands are they in? So Mike and Jay um, are in mind force. So Jay sings in mind force, but plays drums in Colossus. Mike plays guitar in both. Um, Jay and Mike are also in Pillars of Ivory. Uh, Mike does Sentinel. Um, Jay's in like a ton of other bands, which I'm <laughs> blacking on. A- um, and then Jack, who recorded everything and, and plays bass on it, plays guitar in Age of Apocalypse, who have a record oh, okay. coming out closed yeah. casket. He's also in, in Pillars of Ivory, kind of just took everybody. Um, and I think that's it for him. Like he fills in on, he fills in for Mind Forest and stuff. Um, but yeah, they had kind of, jack owns a like has a studio up in massachusetts and they like wrote this record and was like hey we wrote this for you oh wow which yeah. is great which is awesome but it was kind of like i've never done that before like it's sort of like uh-huh. usually i sit there i go do that part one more time like or like here's that'll be the chorus or that'll be the, like so it was just sort of like this is done right to it yeah i never had that experience of just kind of thinking because i used to just like sing in punk bands and stuff too right. um 
and it would you you know you just kind of even if you're not like actively singing you're just kind of sitting there taking it all in after a time frame so you're not like oh shit i have to write lyrics for four songs all at once or however many it is right right you know so yeah just saying like i i I feel you on that because i think sometimes like not that anyone would ask me but i'm like if i had to fill in for a band and learn like eight songs lyric wise you know and remember memorize all that it's like i don't know if i could like, no, do it no that's a lot yeah man. <laughs> i guess that's i'm saying that's a lot and i think the the ep is really good thank you you know and um i i couldn't imagine like being in the situation someone's like do it now you know <laughs> however yeah, long it took yeah yeah and it was like, like oh it. man i like that part i wish i went part again or like oh you know like it, it's it was the first time i'd ever kind of been like well here's what it is and so I, I just pretty much like walked around with headphones on and like until something happened. So something came, you know, I got it in like October, I think. No, no, I recorded, I got it maybe in August and we recorded in October up at Jack's place. And it was kind of like, you know, all right, so it's done. And before we, like, I guess Jay had talked to like Sam and Triple B and they were like, I'll put it out. And he's like, you don't even know what it sounds like. He's like, it's fine. Like, whatever, we'll just do it. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Um, yeah yeah so it was cool should have really tested him you should have really tested him at that point yeah be like how much are you interested yeah um be like <laughs> you know victory records is coming back just to put this out um but yeah it was cool it was an awesome experience i don't know if it'll ever happen live just because there was okay. all, all the bands are like so busy mm-hmm. um like age of apocalypse will be really busy once the record comes out and and mind force is recording a new record now so it's like you know and they're all no all what they got what what they got to do is um uh, just do one of those sets where it's like I'm at a Mind Force show where you just kind of play the songs at the show. So that's a surprise thing. Well, that was uh, my hope, but I don't know. Like <laughs> Jay's worried about his ability to transfer from, you know, charming, engaging frontman to drummer and vice versa. Uh, like he he doesn't know if he's got like the energy to do it. Oh, I feel that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I get it. I get it. You know, like because yeah. once you do like you could do 30 minutes of your own stuff. But like mm-hmm. I could imagine being like, all right, halfway through. Everyone switch instruments. I don't know if I could do that. Well, yeah, I mean, I or I even could. that thing where it's like uh, in a studio, it's like, oh, let me hit that again, you know, in there. But like live, you're like, that's, that's, that's yeah, that, that is what, what it is. is. It's out there, yeah. So yeah, um, do you think that there will be more Colossus songs? I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I think Mike started working on some stuff, but he's got like he's doing like a solo record. It's like they're like so kind of creative and busy with stuff that like I would like to do more. We'll see. Yeah. You know, I'm down for it. I would love to like kind of be in there. Like I've I've never written music without mm-hmm. the people that were in Indecision, Most Precious Blood. It's all the same people. Like I've played with Justin, the guitar player from Indecision, MPB, my entire life. So like I've never sat with someone else and be like, let's write some stuff. Like I've never done that. So yeah. I, I'd be super interested in kind of doing it with those dudes. So we'll see. So and where can people find you online? Um, I'm on Instagram. I feel like this is so like you can check out my uh, YouTube page on now. Um, Instagram is at Thomas Sheehan. Um, I don't know why I did that because my name's Tom. Like Thomas is like either I'm in trouble at home or it's my work name because it seems yeah. more professional. There was a time on social media where I felt like I thought that you had to do that. Where like or I say that because like on Facebook to this day. My name on Facebook is Joshua Andrew Robbins, but no one has ever called me all three names unless <laughs> right. I'm in trouble with my mom or something. Well, it's yeah. funny. Yeah, it's always telling because like when I meet people and they're like Thomas, and I'm like, <laughs> you only know me from the internet. Like, cool. All right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's at Thomas Sheehan. Um, the podcast is at, at Extra Grind Podcast. If anybody wants to follow us on there, there's always we're always doing crap on there. 
Um, I don't really use, I, I have Twitter, but I don't really use it. It's also at Thomas Sheehan, but I don't really yeah. do it. I usually just retweet stuff that infuriates me about this shitty country. Um, yeah. You know, and kind of like, look at this fucking idiot who thinks, you know, cancer is, is, is communicable and all this sort of stuff. Um, um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, yeah, the band's, I don't, yeah, Colossus doesn't have anything. Indecision, we do, but we barely use it. At Indecision, yeah. NYHD or something, I think. Yeah, but definitely anyone listening should pick up that new Colossus EP. And Thank also, you. I would say that, uh, you know, the, you, you sang on a little part on the Somerset Thor record. So, yes. Um, yeah, so maybe pick up that one too. And yeah, that record know. is fantastic. And that was <laughs> yeah, so much fun to do because it was like, this is so different for me. And like when they were like, "Do you want to sing on the record?" I was like, "I love your band, but like I, I'm afraid I'm going to ruin your record." And like when when they sang me the song, I was like, "Oh, it's just fun!" Like this is like almost like Queens of the Stone Age type stuff. Like yeah, it's like yeah. the heaviest song on the record, thankfully, because otherwise I would have really fucking shit the bed on on their great record. Um, but yeah, that I think that LP is fucking fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking to me today. Absolutely. Thank um, you for having me. I appreciate. Me. Yeah, you're talking about one of my favorite records ever. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Welcome back. Thanks again to Tom for coming on the pod. It was great chatting about such an amazing album. Like I said at the top, check out the new Colossus EP on Triple B Records or wherever you stream music. Also gotta give a shout out to Grant over at Bitter Melody Records for keeping Indecision Unorthodox in stock. So check that out too. Lastly, of course, listen to Axe to Grind podcast. Okay, next week, we're chatting with my good buddy Stephen Pierce of Gold Dust and also of Kindling and Ampere about Richard and Linda Thompson, specifically the albums I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight and some of Pour Down Like Silver. Great chat. Once again, check out the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod and follow us on social media at spinningoutpod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts seriously helps thanks as always to sarah blumenthal for editing the pod and pretty maddie for the theme okay see you next week <laughs>